All right. <clears throat> Good to see you. We're going to begin this morning in a way that we normally do not begin. I'm going to ask you to take out your phones, grab your phones, because we're going to do a quick poll. I asked some of the techie guys that are younger than me and know how to do this to help me uh, do a quick poll. Seriously, we're going to do a live poll, and we're going to put the, your answers on the screen. I just had a couple of questions to get us going this morning. So here's what you do. You're going to type... 22333 three, three, as who you're texting to. Don't put a message yet in their message. You're going to text later after I give you a question. You're going to, uh, after you get 22333, did everybody leave your phones in your car? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I really do. <laughs> but if you have your phones, take it out. We'll get a poll for whoever has their phones if you grab it. Once you put that as the, uh, the, the address who you're texting to, then put VVCC in the message, type VVCC, send that message. You should get a reply that says you're in, and then we can um, start the poll. If there's at least three of us, we can poll. <laughs> Hopefully there's a multiple hundred of us with their phones, okay? So once you've sent your text the message is VVCC to 22333. You should have received a message that says you're in. And then here is the question that we're answering, the first poll question. All right, you only need to send your answer, which is either the letter A, the letter B, or the letter C, once you read the question. Here's the question. How many unhappy people are in the world? How many unhappy people are in the world? So if you think A, more unhappy people than happy people, um, if you think there are more happy people than unhappy people, that's B. And if you think there are happy, are you crazy? Who could be happy in this world? Nobody is really happy. You can put C. And this is anonymous. You can put C and nobody will know. And so far, you see the poll is adjusting as people are entering their A, B, or C uh, answers. It's just kind of adjusting. Isn't this fun? I think it's fun. <laughs> All right, so far... Oh, we got to see in there? All right. Somebody's just testing it out, you know? <laughs> Seeing if it really works. 57% A, 39% B. There's more happy people than unhappy people. And then there's a few that say, happy? Are you kidding me? All right. So as that's continuing there, now I want you to not get rid of that message. We're going to do one more poll question. But while we're still kind of collecting this poll and seeing where this ends up, According to the Harris poll, one out of three people that were polled are unhappy. One out of three people are unhappy. So look to the left and look to the right on your row. If the person on your left looks happy and if the person on your right looks happy, you know what? Maybe you're the one, the one out of three who's not happy. Now, if that is the case, you picked a great Sunday to be here because we're going to try to encourage you and help you to move from where you are to where God wants you to be. He really does want you to be filled with joy. And so if that's you, oh, you picked a great day. Now, if you're one of those happy ones and you came here, you picked a great day to be here too. I pray that the things that we're going to take a look at together will be encouraging and actually help each one of us take steps Towards Jesus. We are in this series, the second in the series, week two, I am Jesus. Jesus made a whole bunch of amazing, I'll even say audacious claims, and he starts those claims with I am. 
and then he fills in some of that. We looked at one that was, before Abraham was born, I am. That was what we looked at last week, and today we're looking at one also. Now here's the next poll question. You should be able to just answer with the letters. If you're already logged in, you don't have to do anything different. Here's the question. Why are people unhappy? A, they are not looking for the good life. B, they are looking for the good life in all the wrong places. Or C, there is no such thing as the good life. All right, so here are the answers. Come, wait, somebody retracted that one. That was interesting. Okay. Oh, no, it's just all moving and moving and moving. Most people are going, they're looking for the good life in all the wrong places. See where that settles out here. Or there is no such thing as the good life. Probably not all that surprising that this crowd, although it doesn't reflect the one out of three very well, does it? Um, 87% of us looks like we say they're looking for the good life in all the wrong places. Now, maybe what their experience is, what a lot of people experience, that they are looking for the good life and they can only find it when they're off work finally. They can work through the grind all week long and finally uh, their, the end of their work week comes and they finally get to the good life. And so they live just a short duration of the good life and finally, oh, they have to go set their good life aside and get back to the grind just eking out life the best they can to get to the good life again. And that's a lot of people's experiences and what we want to settle on is something better than that. So, today's audacious claim from Jesus is, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Our focus for today reads this way. If you want the good life, follow the good shepherd. If you want the good life, follow the good shepherd. This is actually a huge, huge claim. The reason why it's such a huge claim is he didn't just say, if you want the good life, follow any good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. He's not saying, I'm one of the good shepherds. He's making a claim that's so big that it is reason for his antagonists who are the religious elite in Israel during the lifetime of Jesus, these antagonists are just inflamed further. They were already ready to kill him. They'd already attempted to kill him. And now they're inflamed further when he claims to be the good shepherd. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God, the father of the Israelites, God who is the redeemer who chose them, who released them from slavery, who made them into a nation, who called them into his flock, claimed to be their shepherd. And the shepherd imagery was very um, familiar to the Israelites. And they spent time wandering around the wilderness following their shepherd until they became a nation. And so they're very familiar with the theme of shepherd. But now is this guy who's claiming a name that they view as really only good for God their father. Now he's saying, I am the good shepherd. So this is a huge claim. It's an audacious claim. And I want to just jump right to that claim. It's in John chapter 10. We're going to put most of the scriptures on the screen. We'll be skipping around a little bit. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there. 
You might grab a chair Bible in front of you. If I remember right, it's page 748. If I remember wrong, it's close to that. Okay? John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he tells us who he is and what he has done. And he is (laughs) claiming something that's huge. Now, I don't think that as he extends this metaphor and starts to explain this metaphor, I don't think the religious elite, his antagonist, the enemy that wants to kill him, really are tracking with him all that well. But we have the advantage of having the words that he said recorded for us so we can look at it and relook at it and read it again and kind of see what's going on, study it. Some of us have become familiar with some of these claims. But they were having a hard time figuring out exactly what he was saying. So let's back up to the beginning of the chapter. I think it starts out like this. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. The Pharisees were one of the uh, leading sects. I had to say that very slowly. (laughs) S-E-C-T-S. In in their community um, that were very religious, very looked up to, very devout, very conservative. And... He was telling them, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So they're just listening to this kind of like a parable, like he normally speaks in parables. They're kind of trying to figure out who is he talking about, who is this thief, but we have the advantage of comparing what he has already said with what he is about to say, and we can kind of muddle back and forth and flip the pages and look at it again. It's like, whoa. And no wonder these guys who are hot under the collar are getting more upset at Jesus. Because a few chapters earlier, in chapter eight, here's what he said. Why is my language not clear to you? He's speaking to the Pharisees. Because you are unable to hear what I say. I have that highlighted because we're going to hear that imagery of hear what I say, hear my voice. A little bit later about the sheep who hear the voice of the shepherd, now he's accusing the Pharisees that they do not hear his voice. Really interesting. You belong to your father, the devil. This is the meek and mild Jesus. You know, we always think of Jesus as nice. Oh, man. In this passage, just track with me, things are already hot, and the result of the things that he says, they're ready to kill him, but it's not his time yet. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We keep reading. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? See, they're ready to kill him. For what? What are you ready to kill me for? Is what he's asking. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. These are the religious leaders of the nation that he's saying this to. And in a few moments, as the argument continues, then he goes into a story. And they're going, who's the thief? What are you talking about now? Those who come in to the pen some other way besides through the gate. Later on, he's going to claim to be the gate. They're the robber. They're the thief. 
but he's already identified the thief who is the shepherd of the thieves. John 10.10. Skipping around a little bit, but we're going to kind of put the, what Jesus sees together to help us interpret what he's getting at because Jesus sees and knows some things and he's saying what he sees and knows. He's revealing it and some people can't get it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So this is where he ends up after he spends some lengthy time talking about the description of himself as the good shepherd in contrast to the thief who steals and kills and destroys sheep. And now when you have put everything together, you recognize that not only is he calling these under shepherds, the shepherds, the under shepherds of Israel, thieves. He's saying, you are a follower, are the sons of the devil, you are actually following the thief of it all because he sees what we don't see, that we live in a clash of kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness that he is invading and as he's bringing the light, there's a clash of kingdoms and he's going to dethrone the prince of the power of this world that he knows is there. The devil, Satan. Now, I do not know if you believe that the devil is real. I'll tell you why I believe that the devil is real. That he really has a name. Multiple names, actually. We sometimes call him Satan, sometimes call him Lucifer, sometimes call him the adversary, sometimes the destroyer. He's got a lot of names in scripture. He is a fallen angel who dominated the power of darkness, many other fallen angels rebelled against God, and these become demons. Satan is the power over these demons because he is a ruler of demons, being a demon himself, having fallen from the kingdom of heaven. Now, the reason I believe that these statements are about a reality is that Jesus believes these statements are about a real kingdom, real powers with real personalities. And I believe there's evidence, strong evidence, that Jesus really rose from the dead. I believe that there's evidence, there's strong evidence that Jesus predicted that he was gonna go to the cross, he predicted that he'd be crucified, he predicted that he'd rise from the dead, and then when he did rise from the dead, because everybody was looking for a different kind of Messiah, they didn't see it coming, but now, all of these people who have seen the resurrected Christ are willing to die for the truth and Christianity explodes. And so we have history that makes a good case for the reality of the resurrected Christ. Now here's my point. If there's a guy who really can predict that he's gonna be crucified by an enemy, he's going to be buried, he's going to rise from the dead, and he himself claims to be a lot of things that we're looking at these claims, and then he raises from the dead, just as predicted. It's like, hmm, maybe these other statements are true as well. I happen to believe they are true. I don't know if you do yet. It's okay if you're here. Glad you're here, if you're a skeptic about these realities that I'm describing. But I wanna describe these realities because I believe Jesus wants us to know what is behind the scenes that causes such unhappiness. 
What is happening that causes so many people to be so angry? What's going on that causes everybody to be led by a false shepherd into all these other avenues that are destructive? And they're led by lies and deception into all kinds of disasters for their life. And they're led like sheep to the slaughter. They all wander off and go astray. And to that, I want you to hear very plainly and very clearly the voice of Jesus when he says, I love you. You have not strayed so far that I won't go to the lengths to find you. You have not strayed so far that I won't shed my blood to redeem you. I have come because there's no hope for you apart from a savior. I am the good shepherd. I have come to lay down my life for you. That, my friends, is a claim worth hanging on to. If you ever felt like you were outside of the grace of God, set that aside because Jesus says, listen to me now. If you hear my voice, I have come for you. I have come and I want to find you right where you are. If you will follow me, I will lead you from where you are to where God wants you to be. And you're not gonna be able to do this on your own. You're a sheep and you need a shepherd and you're a lost lamb. But I'm the strong one and I have come to find you. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. There is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Point number one is this. A shepherd guides. If what I've described is true, we need a good shepherd, and we need guidance. We need to be led out of the dark mess, the unhappiness that we are in, and led to a place of joy and green pastures and protection and peace by a shepherd who's come to find us in our lost places. He guides. Now, one of the reasons, just one, that all of these religious leaders of Jesus' day got so angry is their Bible their Old Testament is filled with illusions of their God being the shepherd. This is one that's familiar to many people. It's Psalm 23. David is the writer, and he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I want you to notice that the Lord is all caps. In many English translations, it's all caps where the term that's being translated is the personal name of God. Yahweh, sometimes it's stated. Jehovah, sometimes it's stated. You gotta supply the consonants to say, or the vowels to be able to say this thing. And the reason why our translator of this translation translates all caps is to differentiate between Lord as it's used in other translations. To, to just translate Lord Master, now we're, no, we wanna translate Yahweh as Lord with all caps, identifying who we're talking about. Now, the reason they do this in modern times is because the ancient Septuagint translation of the Hebrew Bible that was translated from Hebrew into Greek 250 BC, you tracking with me? That was trying to get the word and the revelation of God to the world, 
This translation, 250 BC, translated every time it occurred, they translated it into the Greek kurios, which means Lord. And so, in English, we're following suit with those ancient translators now, translating Lord as a, a good translation for his personal name. Now, last week we talked about how Jesus claimed to be the I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. The reason they were picking up stones to kill him is because he's claiming the name of God, I am. This is that word, I am. Moses is at the burning bush. God revealed himself to him, and he says, okay, I'm supposed to go back to Egypt. I'm supposed to release all the people. If that really is you, God, uh, they're going to ask me, what God are we talking about, the God of our fathers? What is his name? What is your name, God? God says, tell the people when they ask you this, that I am, that I am has sent you. This is the name of God. And the name of God, his personal identifying name, is claiming to be our shepherd. David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This is David writing a thousand years before Jesus comes on the scene. This is David speaking of God, his father, who is his shepherd. Now Jesus comes on the scene. He claims to be the same as the I am, which they're ready to kill him for. And then he amplifies that to say, I am the good shepherd. We tend to look at these statements. We get so familiar with them that we kind of read them like, okay, he guides me. Yep, you're right. No, that's true. But he's claiming to be one with the shepherd. He's claiming to be visible in visible form. God is making personal for us his guidance so that we understand how God is Guiding us. In the past, God guided through his commandments, his laws, and they followed the laws the best they could. And God says, man, they're still wandering every which way. I need to make this more personal. I'm going to send my son. Now my son is going to guide them. He's going to guide them in a personal way. They can enter into a relationship with me personally, in a personal relationship, and they can hear me and be guided by me because now, because of what he does, my spirit can rest within them and I can bring guidance. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. So let's hear from Jesus a little bit more how he interprets this huge claim that he is the shepherd as we read in John 10. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. Do you hear an echo of how he was telling these under shepherds that they weren't listening to the voice of their father? They were listening to the voice of another father. They were sons of the devil. That Their father was the devil. That's the voice they hear when they're trying to kill Jesus. They do not hear Jesus because they do not trust Jesus. They can't hear him. anything Jesus says They are angry at everything he says. They want to kill him for what he says. The darkness wants to stomp out the light. But the sheep hear what Jesus says. They hear the message of love. They hear the message of grace. They hear a message of hope. They hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's not a general call. It's like, I mean, it is a general call. 
but we don't take it just generally. We take it very personally, just like the ancient shepherds. They didn't drive sheep like you see sheep herders today. They lived with sheep, knew the sheep. They knew each sheep by name. They sometimes would have flutes and play specific tunes that the sheep would follow. They could gather their sheep out of whole flocks of sheep, play the tune, speak their voice, and sheep would come out of a mixed flock and begin to follow their shepherd. And Jesus is using an illustration they're familiar with in their culture to talk about himself. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. How are you doing, sheep? Are you able to discern and recognize truth in the voice of Jesus? A message of love, a message of hope, a message of grace, where you trust him when he instructs you. He says, you need to do this and don't do this. And rather than go, what? I, I can run my own life. You know he loves you so much. He's instructing you out of destruction. He's instructing you out of danger. He's leading you into truth. He's leading you into life. He's leading you into happiness and joy. Oh, sheep, how are you doing listening to his voice? Are you able to differentiate your own voice, your own terms, your own definitions of happiness that are in conflict with the voice of the shepherd. I have come to a place where I'm so grateful that I do not live in that day. I have a feeling that I would have been an accidental Pharisee hanging on to the old words, hanging on to the old ways, hanging on with no changes, judging instead of opening my heart to hear a message of love, a message of grace. Is this truth? I'm so glad that I live in a day where I can look at words, look at words, look at words like a mirror and see myself. Jesus is right. I can trust him. As my heart opens up to his words, I hear his voice. I hear the voice of God. I hear the voice of grace. I hear the voice that is saving me, drawing me away from paths of destruction, drawing me away from that way which is destroying me, and I know it, and I hang on to the voice of hope. Sometimes, because I have these words, indelibly in self-revelation from God himself, and I study and study and study, it becomes that which helps me discern, wait, was that whisper from God? Wait, was that prompting from God or was that from me? And the words that I'm studying, the words that I'm memorizing, the words that came from him that are recorded become the words by which I'm able to discern, no, that was me. Or that is his voice. 
He's asking me to do that which is so counterintuitive. It is not what I want to do, but it's the right way. I will stop wandering. I'll follow the voice of the shepherd, and I will do this thing that he's calling me to. It's gonna cost me, but it's right because I trust him, and I hear his voice. It becomes ever so personal. It's no longer religion. It is a very real relationship where he calls me his own sheep and I call him my shepherd. Where do you go for guidance? Have you developed a practice of meeting with and listening to the good shepherd so that you can hear his voice and discern his voice from so many other voices and messages that compete for your attention. We live in a world of noise. We live in a world of competing messages. I love to get up and spend time in the privacy of whispered distance to my shepherd. Only in the quietness can I hear a whisper. Only when all other voices and all other clamor and all other noise is set aside can I draw near within the range of a whisper. That's the place of intimacy. Open up his words and study the words that I know are from him so that when he speaks to me a prompting or a whisper, I can hear it because I keep developing the practice and the habit of communicating with the good shepherd within the space of intimacy. How are you doing? Do you hear the voice of the shepherd calling you from the place that you're at right now to move to where he wants you to go? Draw near. Point number two, he provides. So point number one was he guides. Point number two is he provides. There are so many other things that we could say about this good shepherd, but perhaps we can summarize the statements from the Old Testament and apply it to the one who claims that these are true of him. So let's take a look at Psalm 23. What does the good shepherd provide? You'll notice the italics and then the brackets. The italics are from the text, Psalm 23. The brackets are statements that I'm just saying what he provides. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides a caring relationship. I lack nothing. He provides everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He provides stress-free rest. Oh, my. He leads me beside still waters. He provides thirst quenching satisfaction. He refreshes my soul. He provides healing to my core being. He guides me along the right paths. He provides leadership. For his namesake, he provides purpose and meaning, the reason for living, something bigger than it's for me, 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 my happiness. I just want this, I just want that. No. How about my glory, my honor? You were created for this. 
You were created for, for something bigger, something better. You bring honor to my name, your creator. If you'll live for me, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, he provides testing. He will even lead us into the darkest valley to test us. I will fear no evil. Because then he can raise our courage. He gives us courage in the middle of the dark valley to just demonstrate that this is beyond human comprehension. There is a power that's beyond you who is with you. His presence is there. For you are with me. He provides his presence. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He provides training and discipline. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He provides confidence. Folks, this was spoken by David. This is hung on to by us. This has been hung on to by people who have been persecuted and killed throughout the centuries and millenniums. In the presence of enemies, confidence, presence, you anoint my head with oil. This one kind of escapes a lot of us, but in their culture, he provides me with the honor as a guest. Let's keep reading. My cup overflows. He provides more than enough of everything. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. He provides persistent and continuous blessing. Let's keep reading. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. He provides a home. And then he says, forever. He provides all this for eternity. Jesus claims to be that provider. I am the good shepherd. Right now, if you won't mind, I want you to just set your notes aside, set your pencils down, and hold your hand in front of you. Because the Lord is my shepherd. All of these things that can be provided to you happen if he calls you and you follow. If you can say with honesty, the Lord is my shepherd. Five words. The Lord is my shepherd. Hold your thumb for me. The reason you don't need pencils is this is so simple. The. Jesus didn't claim to be a shepherd. The Lord is not claiming to be a shepherd. The Lord is the Lord. There's not many ways to heaven. Jesus claimed there's only one way, and I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. I am the good shepherd. The apostles knew it. They said there is no other name under heaven by which man may be saved except through the name of Jesus. We came to a confession where we began to call Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a Trinitarian confession. The Lord 
capital L, capital R, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh, he is claiming to be one with the Father, the Lord, the. Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, before Abraham was, I am. I am he. And so the apostle said, the whole world was created through Jesus, because he was there. Wait, I thought this was Christmas. I thought he wasn't there until Christmas, you know, 2,000 years ago. No, 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 no. That's when he came in bodily form. Jesus was the eternal one, who is one with the I am, the Trinitarian Godhead. Although the word Trinity is not in the scripture, the Trinity is throughout scripture. Jesus claimed to be one with the I am. He died on the cross for you, to redeem you, and once you've been cleansed, the Spirit of God can enter into you and dwell in you and guide you through the voice of Jesus, the Lord. Notice that that's a pointer finger. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is. A verb holds together the whole sentence. A verb is the center of it all, and a verb is the identifier of who God is. The Lord is. His name is I am. That's another form out of the same verb. Because the Lord is. He never was not. He doesn't become. He just is. There's only one self-starting who never started starter. Everything else comes from the starter. Jesus claimed to be one with the starter. Everything comes from the Lord, and he is one with the Lord. In the beginning, God. Everything comes from the beginning, and Jesus claims to be the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. He is. The Lord is my. Grab your ring finger. Isn't it appropriate that this lands on the ring finger, which is a covenant ceremony emblem? My ring finger has a ring on it that I entered into covenant with Gina. We said our vows and promises so that we join together. Now we can join with the good shepherd who came to save you. And he says, if, if you'll believe me, if you will trust me, if you allow me to pay this for you, I will be yours and you will be mine. You can enter into the flock and you will be called the bride, the bride of Christ. The Lord is my. You have to make him yours. You have to know when you did because this is not a decision of your parents. This is not a heritage that you were born into. This is a decision where you say yes to Jesus. We end all our prayers with amen that says yes. So be it. Your will be done. When Jesus says, I'll be your savior, I'll be your good shepherd, you have to say yes, I trust, I hear what you're calling for me to do, I say yes. There was a little boy who was dying. The story is told. And the preacher was called for. He came to the house. And he began to pray for the boy. He was unresponsive. The parents were exhausted. The parents just needed a little bit of a break. Preacher says, I'll sit with him. While the preacher was sitting with the boy, he explained first by reading Psalm 23. The boy was unresponsive. 
Then he grabbed the boy's hand and began to talk through the five words. Grabbed his thumb, explained the. Grabbed his pointer finger, explained Lord. Grabbed his middle finger, explained is. Grabbed his ring finger, explained my. And grabbed the last finger, he's my shepherd. The boy never indicated that he heard a word. He prayed for the boy and he prayed for the parents and he left. When he returned the next day to check on the family, the parents were devastated. The boy had died. But they asked the preacher, what, what did you say to him when you were in there? I read Psalm 23 and I explained, the Lord is my shepherd. Why did our son keep grabbing his finger? He kept grabbing his ring finger and moaning, grabbing his ring finger and the Preacher just began to cry as he was claiming the shepherd as my shepherd. And he walked with his shepherd through the valley of the shadow of darkness into the kingdom of light. Will you claim the good shepherd as your shepherd who came to rescue you, do you hear the tug of grace in these words and his audacious claims? There's hope. There's good life. There's guidance. There's everything you need. Point number three, if you can claim that, I follow. Here's what Jesus says. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice and trust his voice. Maybe you could pray that prayer. It's just five words, I bet you could. The five words are as good as your trust. Can you declare yes to Jesus? The ring, covenant symbol, I think of baptism. Many of us have been baptized, immersed into the water by our choice when we said, I do, I'm all yours. And we became his. That would be the appropriate thing to do if you're praying this prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. Then put a ring on it, an indelible marker that you'll never forget where you said yes in the ceremony of baptism entered into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his death becomes good for you, his resurrection becomes good for you because his resurrected life enters into you because of what he's done as a good shepherd. If you're willing to pray that prayer, just pray the prayer right now while we sing. Then tell somebody about it. We'll have a prayer team to the right of the stage. Just have them pray with you, say, I prayed that prayer. Maybe you're coming back, you've been wandering, and you're coming back, you just need to say so. Maybe you've never, remember the time where you said, I want him to be my shepherd. Invite him to be your savior. He knows his sheep, and you need to know him too. Let's stand together. I'll say a quick prayer and we'll sing. Father God, we thank you for sending your son to make guidance and protection personal, to lead us out of darkness into the good life that you have provided for us and made us for. Help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.